There was a song by Bob Seger, Rolled Me Away. And uh, took a look down a westbound road right away, I made my choice. Headed out on my two big, on my big two-wheeler, excuse me. I was tired of my own voice. And uh, I sort of relate to that, you know, wanting to just get away. Sometimes you just throw up your hands and say, man, you know, I just need to, I'm getting frustrated. I just need out. I need to, I'm fed up. And I was tired of my own voice. I wanted to change that word to, I was tired of my own war. My own war within, the enemy within, whatever, whatever you may struggle with. I was sort of just tired of my own war. And I wanted to, you know, just get away. Later he was saying the song, I too am lost, I feel double-crossed. And I'm sick of what's wrong and what's right. Now I want to talk about today, when we get to the point, and don't say you've never been there, where you get sick of what's wrong and what's right. Where you get to that jumping off point, where you just say, you know, I really don't care anymore. And often that leads to sin. And I'm not saying any of this is good, I'm just saying that Christians get to this point from time to time. I am fed up. And I want to talk about what leads to that and what to do about it. I, now, in the words, I too am lost. You know, what I figured out is that Christians don't think of themselves as lost, do we? Out there, they're lost. You know, there's people outside the doors of our glass. They're lost big time, but we're not lost. And yet, in your walk with God, often we do get lost from time to time. We, we mess up, trip up, you know, get confused. And there's a scripture that has always encouraged me. It's right here. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm encouraged by that. Why? Because sometimes I sin. You know, if you're not a sinner, Christ didn't die for you. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know. And... You know, and again, I often, I, what I've noticed is that religious people don't, again, the sinners, you know, they're not, they're out there. You know, they're, they're all those sinners out there, but we, we, we're okay. A lot of Christians don't view themselves as a sinner. And yet, like the country western song, pretty good at drinking beer, we're pretty good at sinning from time to time. <laughs> But I'm encouraged by this verse. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are, think about this, we are imperfect beings, imperfect beings trying to be like God. I mean, you talk about a challenge now. If you could set out the, 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 the biggest goal you could imagine, the toughest goal you can imagine, imperfect beings trying to be like God trying to mimic, trying to emulate God. That's what, you're, that's what we're up against. Now, what imperfection looks like. Let me just tell you what imperfection looks like. I'll, I'll just, you'll, you'll recognize this scripture. It's, but I'm reading it through, from a different translation. It's Romans 7 and verse 18. It says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, nothing good lives in my corrupt nature. Although I have the desire to do what is right, I don't do it. I don't do the good I want to do. Instead, I do the evil that I don't want to do. You know, when I read that, I think, that's sort of stupid. Uh, 
sin is, is, is stupid, by the way. I mean, it's like, well, you know, I don't want to do the good I want to do. Instead, I do the evil that I, that I don't want to do. I mean, that, that's sort of, it's ridiculous, is it not? <clears throat> it's downright silly, stupid. Did you know that there are stupid people in the world? We don't li I know we don't like, well, you shouldn't say that, but, but God says foolish. God says presumptuous sin, which is stupid sin. I was, I hope this doesn't offend anybody. I'll tell you, if you're doing this, um, we were, we went to see our, our daughter. We were eating at a restaurant, uh, St. Augustine or some, somewhere. I don't know, I forgot where she lives. Where does she live? St. Augustine? Okay. All right, in a town down there in the restaurant. We were getting ready to walk out. There's a deck that you could sit on outside. We were getting ready to leave, waiting for our chauffeur, Garrett, uh, to bring the car around. Because you, you can't park in that town. I mean, you might as well just forget about it. Unless you want to pay $10. $10 to eat a meal. And the meal will cost you $100. Uh, but there was this guy sitting with a baby stroller. And, I, and the little baby sort of yapped out. And I thought, I said, that sounds like a dog. That don't sound like a human being. And he said, Mama will be here in a little bit. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a dog in a tutu and in a baby carriage. Now, if any of you do, are doing this, hold on to your seats. Brace yourself. Uh, and uh, the high society woman comes up, you know, white pants, high heel shoes, this, this thick. She comes out and they, 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 she, he grabs the front end of the little stroller and she's got, and they, and she, they clop off, you know, across the parking lot. Well, there was a guy eating his meal, and somehow we made eye contact. And he said, that's the stupidest, can't tell you the next word, <laughs> I've ever seen. He said, you were thinking that, wasn't you? I, I said, well, I, I said, yeah, he trapped me. I said, I'm not, but I didn't want to say it, uh, like you said it. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, people do silly things, you know, and he, usually, Life beats stupid out of you in your old age, you know. It, it really does. It has a way of just beating it out of us. But it's not always true. Not always true. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Psalms 19 and verse 13, the Message Bible says, Clean the slate, God, so we can start the day fresh. Keep me from stupid sins. The word in the King James is presumptuous. But there's all kinds of words in, in, in the Bible for, for stupid. Uh, Sin is stupid. And I have found it is healthy from time to time to look at the man or woman in the mirror and say what I did was stupid. That sin I just did was stupid. It's healthy from time to time. Now, <clears throat> why do we get to the point in the first place where we get sick of what's right and what's wrong? Because it's not Christian. I mean, you know that. I mean, it's not Christian to get like that. Uh, so I want to I talk about how we get to this point in the first place, how to handle it and what to do about it. All right. Why do we get sick of what's right and what's wrong? What causes us to get to that jumping off point? Number one, the illusion that my life and everything that I am doing is absolutely pleasing to God. It might be, you know, this picture of the woman might illustrate it. 
The old man might represent God looking at us, you know, who do you think you are, you know. <laughs> but the, the illusion, and often that illusion that everything I'm doing is absolutely pleasing to God is revealed by lack of communication with God, lack of prayer. This is a season we go through. Lack of receiving instructions. Well, I don't need any instructions. What do I need instructions for? Uh, lack of correction. Don't need that either. There's a season that can lead to this illusion that everything I am doing is absolutely pleasing to God. Now, living your life in a self-corrective mode, it's a goal that we should all work toward, but it's not, it, it's, um, it's not pleasant. A self-corrective mode that you live in, but it's probably one of the most healthiest things you can do, but it's painful. It gets on your nerves after a while, you know. Uh, a self-corrective mode. You ever thought about if Jesus, what if Jesus was like a lot of religious people? You go to the throne of grace and you say, God, I did this. And he says, ah, can't believe you did that again. Oh, man, I am. Supposed, but he's not like that, is he? You go to the throne of grace and he says, I understand what you're going through. Because I was tempted in all areas like you are without sin. I understand what you're going through. So thank, thank God. That he's not like a lot of religious people that you can meet. Can't believe you did that. Sooner or later, the carnal mind will let you down. And you know, you sometimes, well, look, I never get sick of doing what's right and what's wrong. You know, I love the Lord. From a child, I've loved Jesus. I've met people who told me that. From a child, I've loved Jesus. You know? And uh, the pretense that some religious people can exhibit can be a big turnoff. What's my point? We need Jesus. We need grace. We need forgiveness daily. And if you're living under the illusion that my life and everything that I'm doing is absolutely pleasing to God, well, then there's no need for Jesus in your life. There was a country western song, Me and God. I like that. And one of the, some of the words is, I am weak and he is strong. He forgives me when I'm wrong. Man, that's powerful. Because I, I am weak and he is strong. And he forgives me when I'm wrong. I need to get used to that. Get used to that. So, the first one, the longer we go under the illusion that my life and everything I'm doing is absolutely pleasing to God, the harder the fall will be. And you can get to the point where you say, I'm just sick of what's right and what's wrong. And when you can get to that jumping off point. So, to prevent that, be aware of those seasons of lack of communication, prayer, lack of receiving instruction, either from listening to audio, listening to the Bible, reading the Bible, whatever. Uh, 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 the need for instructions daily and the lack of correction, can, that season of that can lead you to a point of, of long periods of time living under the illusion, hey, everything's okay, and then the fall comes, the jumping off point comes. Number two, the exposure of judgmental people who question everything you do. Too much of an exposure of judgmental people that's going to question everything. You, you should do this. You should do that. You should be like this. You should be like that. You should look like this. You should look like that. Whatever it may be. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. Be like this. Whatever. You shouldn't be doing this or that. And sometimes we let other people's judgment of us eat away at us. If you're a self-corrective person, and that's a good thing, the downside is this. You will always listen to your critics. Too much. <laughs> Way too much. 
Your critics don't always have the truth, do they? Most of your critics know nothing about you at all. You know, some of the ones that have criticized me the most, they don't know what I'm like. They don't know my family. They don't know how I treat my family. They don't know how I work, my work ethic. They don't know anything about me. So, look, your critics don't always have the truth, do they? But we get to the point where I'm sick of what's right and what's wrong. You know, you should be doing that. You should say, I'd already talked about this, but you should say the sacred names when you preach. You, you should not have said that. You, did, you didn't use the right language or whatever. You know, you're, you're not much of a preacher or whatever. And, and, you know, you get to that point where it's damned if I do, damned if I don't. And uh, jumping off point. The Pharisees and the tax collectors, Luke 18 and verse 9, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, I want to take a look at how your critics can look at you. And I'm going to change the words around a little bit. Two men went up to the temple, Luke 18 and verse 10, to pray. One was a critic. The other was a self-corrective person. The critic stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the self-corrective person standing afar off would not lift up so much his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, we know the end result of that. We know who God accepted in this, this situation. It was a self-corrective person. Did you know that you will be criticized for your faith, what you do, what you believe? You will. You'll be criticized for that. You will be criticized for that. And so was Jesus, criticized. If you always listen to your critics and assume they have all truth, it can lead you to that jumping off point. Where you don't care what's right and what's wrong. All right, jumping off point. Third one. <clears throat> Living in the appeasement mode, you're trying to please everyone. That can lead you to a jumping off point, you know? Constant appeasement of other leads to pain and more aggression, someone said. Sometimes it means you simply give in to others because you don't feel the fight is worth the effort. Perhaps you're constantly giving to someone's nagging in order to avoid a full-blown argument. Think of the long-term ramifications of appeasing others. If you allow certain people to continually take, you, take from you, they will continue to take from you. Why? Because they can, you let them. They will come to see taking from you or pushing you around as normal, acceptable. Why should they stop? I, you know, I used to be more like this when, in my younger days, trying to please everybody. I used to try to please everybody in church, you know, like if I knew someone had a Jewish perspective, I thought, well, how can I appease that person? If I knew someone believed differently, how can I appease that person? And it, it's, a, it's a tough road to hoe, I'll tell you that. It's like walking a tightrope. You're about to slip, you know, any moment, and you're about to fall off the bandwagon. You're about to, you know, say, what the heck, give up. Things I've learned to do in appeasing others or pleasing others is just, you know, words like, no, that won't work for me. You don't even have to give an answer why. Why won't that work, work for you? It doesn't matter. 
No, that, that this is not going to work for me. All right. Boundaries. We, we all have boundaries, and, and we need to respect other people's boundaries, what they're really like, but we also need to demand that they respect our boundaries. And you need to know what your boundaries are. For example, I am a very private individual. You know, like the Rigoletto movie, he says, uh, the master uh, enjoys, uh, loves his privacy more than anything else. If you invade that privacy, his anger becomes terrible. Oh, man, privacy. I was in, you know, we were visiting our daughter and eating at a restaurant, and mobs of pe people everywhere, just people, 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 people. Everywhere I went, it was people. And uh, I, I told him, I said, boy, I long for solitude. And Garrett said, well, you'll get it in your eight-hour drive back home. You know. <laughs> uh, but, I, <laughs> but I get home. My mornings consist of sometimes walking, and there's not another person in sight. There's just rolling fields and hills and mountains, and, and it's just, oh, it just nourishes my spirit. It's just I long for that. I yearn for that. And... Uh, you, you got to know yourself. So if you know that about yourself, you know your boundaries, you can't have people invading your privacy all the time. So, uh, be aware of trying to please everyone. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4. No man that warreth, we're in a battle, entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. So we're a soldier. You're in a battle and our concern, we need to be concerned about pleasing God instead of people all the time. And often, if you're trying to please God, people may get upset. People may become critic, critical of you. But that's what we need to be concerned about. All right. Fourth one can lead to the jumping off point where you just don't give a rip what's right and what's wrong. When people try to control us, when people try to control you, can lead you to a jumping off point. You know, freedom is what the Bible, it's what Christ died for, our freedom to be liberated, freed from sin. Freedom of, of America, think about that. I mean, the, the, our freedom that we're going to give up for socialism, but our freedom, freedom, America, land of the free. It's a beautiful thing. And have you ever noticed that God is sort of, he's, he, he will give us enough rope to hang ourselves. You ever notice that? I don't know if God's ever stopped a smoker from lighting up. I don't know if God's ever stopped a couple in the back seat of the car in the heat of passion, getting ready to, you know, do, you know what. Uh, I don't know if he's ever stopped that, an unwanted pregnancy. I don't know if he's, I, he didn't stop Adam, Adam and Eve, the forbidden fruit. Love must be free. When control is involved, it's not real love. So God does not control us. And it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. So who's controlling you? It can be a boss. It can be your work. You know, it could be Ronnie. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, nah, Ronnie is not a control freak. Uh, it can be a husband. It can be a wife. It can be a church organization. Uh, let me just sort of lay out a, something that happens all the time. You got a married couple. And... One is unfaithful. Let's say the, the man is unfaithful. And so the woman starts to control because he's out of control. 
You understand what I'm saying? He's out, he, he's out of control of his hormones. He's out of control of his, his, his lust. He's out of control of his emotion. He's out of control. So I have to control him. And so I tell him, you know, where he can go, where he can't go, who he can visit, who he cannot visit. You know, you can't do this. You know, let me check your phone to make sure you haven't been calling your ex-girlfriend or whatever. She controls in order not, she puts him in a cage in order not to get hurt again. I can't stand being hurt again. As long as he's in that cage, he cannot hurt me again. The problem is, control leads to the jumping off point where you break out of that cage and you say, that's it, I've had enough, I don't care what's right and what's wrong, I'm going to go, you know, the jumping off point. The control leads to the jumping off point. And, uh, I mean, think about it. Think about a church organization that totally abandoned their faith because it was controlling. I'm talking about one that we're familiar with, a church organization where the majority of the people abandoned their faith because it was controlling, telling them what they could do, what they could not do. You know, your women can't wear makeup or whatever it might have been. They abandoned their faith. You can't cage a person but for so long. Uh, that kind of control will lead to the jumping off point. So evaluate your life. Who's in control of your life? Who's in the control? Hopefully God is in control. But even that, I say God's in control. Well, God, you know, he does not desire, to, he does not wish to control us. Love must be free. So these four points. I'm sick of what's wrong and what's right. We can lead to, it can lead to four points. The longer we go under the illusion that my life and everything I'm doing is absolutely pleasing to God, the harder the fall will be. And you'll get to the point where you say, I'm sick of what's right and what's wrong. Jumping off point. Be aware of the stages of life we can go through. Seasons of lack of communication, lack of receiving instruction, the need for instruction and lack of correction. Two, the exposure of judgmental people who question everything we do. Be aware of your critics and how you handle them. Third, trying to please everyone. Be aware of that. Fourth, when people try to control us. All right, to conclude, Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I want to give you my opinion of what that verse means. Because, you know, the verse means perfect means mature or whatever, but it basically means what it says. <laughs> you know, be ye therefore perfect. Uh, here's my interpretation. Be committed to the cause that God had, has called you to. Make your calling an election sure. Be committed to your calling. Um, give you a little story. As a teenager, there was a song by the Raspberries that I loved. It was a carnal-minded song, by the way. So, you know, maybe you shouldn't ask me what it was, but it, it had a guitar riff in the, at the beginning that oh, I loved it every time I'd cut my radio wide open. Uh, uh, I would tell you the name. You ask me afterward, I'll tell you the name. But it's sort of inappropriate in church. But, uh, oh, I'd cut it. I love that guitar riff. Well, at age 50, I said, I'm going to learn to play it if it kills me. And uh, <laughs> I, got my, I got a guitar. I don't do much with it. But I, got a, I found a guy on YouTube teaching how to play this song. And the riff is, on, is less than a minute. Less than a minute. The intro. And I would, I would practice four or five times in the morning, four or five times in the evening, thousands of times of practice, 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 thousands. 
And, and when I'd play it, if, it, if I played it today, I'd still miss a chord or two. And, uh, and, and it's about that time I watched a documentary on, on um, uh, the Beach Boys, uh, Brian Wilson. And they said Brian was a weird guy. I mean, while other, while other guys were chasing girls and cars, he was aloof to himself. And he would stay in his room, you know, in my room, uh, eight hours a day until the sound that was in his head came out on the keyboard. And, he, and to other people thought he was strange. He was oddball. He was weird because he didn't associate until that was in his head. So I heard that story, I knew, and I knew how hard it was for me to get this right. And so I was working on a job, and uh, the woman owned the house. She said, let me introduce you to so-and-so. He was a lead guitar for some, uh, let's see, Percy Sledge. She started naming off bands that I knew. Long-haired hippie guy. And I said, I told him my dilemma. I said, look, I've been practicing this for thousands. And I said, I can't get it right. I said, what does it take to get good at this? And without hesitation, without blinking in an eye, he said, you got to be possessed. Now, when he said possessed, <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> he, he was not talking about demon possession, you know, rock and roll. He was, he was talking about you got to be committed to the cause committed to and I thought wow you mean these people that's what they do who are really good I mean that they're and I, I you know I knew I, I thought well I gotta make a living somehow I can't I can't fiddle with this guitar eight hours a day but but uh what I think this is what you okay be perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect be committed to the cause when all else fails when all else fails and you come to the end of your rope where you say, I don't care what's right and what's wrong. When all else fails, God is always there. There is grace. There is forgiveness. There's just one thing God asks from us. Be committed to the calls. Make your calling and election short.